So humidity, 84%. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Giddings. Your guest presenter this morning is Philip Wong. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be talking about the impact on Hong Kong's property market of the measures announced in this week's policy address. The chief executive announced a partial easing of the so-called spicy measures, which were put in place more than a decade ago to curb then-storing property prices. Two special stamp duties, which especially increased the cost of buying property for non-Hong Kong permanent residents, were halved. And buyers will no longer have to pay a special stamp duty if they resell their properties within two years. But some property developers have called for the spicy measures to be scrapped altogether. And there are mixed signals about how much this will do to stabilize the property market. So what do you think? Has the chief executive got the balance right? Or should he have gone even further? You can call us on 233-88266. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or you can email us at backchat and rthk.hk. And later in the programme, we're going to be looking at new policies in the uh, policy address to support local filmmakers, especially trying to go into the mainland market. Our guest in the uh, first segment of the show this morning, we have Nicholas Brook. Nicholas Brook is the Chairman of Professional Property Services Limited and uh, Jason Lung. Jason Lung is a research, a research on land issues at our Hong Kong Foundation. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Uh, now, the uh, uh, Chief Executive, of course, has just been on RTHK, just finished just a few minutes ago, and he was asked about uh, these um, uh, relaxation of the so-called spicy measures um, during the phone in this morning, and he he he, uh, he said very much that it's not it's not about uh, the property market per se. It's about uh, or about property prices per se. It's about um, increasing liquidity in the, liquidity in the property market, and um, he also um, pointed very much to the the global external environment, saying it's bad and expected to get worse in terms of uh, providing sort of part of the thinking about why he's relaxed these measures. Um, uh, Nicholas Brook, your your reaction to the uh, chief executive's explanation of his measures? Um, well, I think uh, we have to understand that stamp duty is only part of the decision at the moment in terms of uh, one's uh, aspirations to earn by home. Uh, there are other issues out there, including obviously interest rates um, and um, uh, the the challenge of the Hong Kong economy and the external environment. So, in that sense, he's right. It's not just about Hong Kong and, and Sam duty per se. Um, they had to, obviously, at some stage, government had to uh, uh, remove, the, uh, relax, and ultimately remove these measures. Um, uh, probably t- now is as good a time as any in the sense that uh, the market, is, as we all know, is in, in some state of disarray, if you want to put it that way. Um, so... Um, from, a, from a pragmatic perspective, if you like, and government wanted to send a fairly strong signal to the market, uh, signal the support, but avoid overstimulating the market, probably you know, now is as good a time as any. Disarrays. Quite a, you, you say the property market's in disarray? I mean, I know that um, prices have fallen a bit, but there's not, nothing like we've seen in sort of previous property price crashes in Hong Kong. Um, no, but there's a lot, of, a great deal of uncertainty. Maybe disarray, you might say, that is strong, but there's a great deal of uncertainty in the market. Um, obviously, a lot of people have been waiting for the policy address, but um, the policy address per se isn't going to solve the, uh, the situation, I don't think. Uh, it may uh, result in more supply coming on the market because developers have been holding back and vendors have been holding back. Um, but the ultimate solution to, in terms of the market is what happens with interest rates um, and what happens in terms of the economy and what happens in terms of the external environment. So um, 
he, I'm sure he doesn't think, and we shouldn't think, that this relaxation is going to change things dramatically. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty out there um, about what to do and whether to buy or not to buy. And what about uh, Jason Leung? What do you think? I mean, Nick- Nicholas mentioned that the property sector is in a bit of a disarray. Do you think this uh, policy address will help stabilize? Oh, uh, firstly, I think in terms of uh, prices, it, it's uh, like Nicholas said, it's affected by uh, quite a number of factors, mm. and uh, certainly policy is one of them. But um, like Nicholas said, it, this is not the most significant factor affecting property prices at the moment. Um, I think that uh, what the chief executive said is actually a reflection of the difficulty or the predicament that the government faces uh, in the property market. Um, because um, two facts, right? Firstly, half of Hong Kong are homeowners. The other half, uh, uh, they either rent or you know they live in uh, uh, public housing. And uh, the second thing is that uh, the private housing market in Hong Kong has uh, to cater for not only uh, livelihood needs, but also investment needs. So striking a balance between these two different needs is uh, quite difficult. And sometimes they may be conflicting, right? From the investment perspective, they would want all the so-called spicy measures to be taken away because that will help to, you know, at least add a bit of feel-good factor in the market, stimulate the uh, transactions, and hopefully, you know, prices can go up again. But um, if you're talking about livelihood needs, they want the spicy measures to be kept in place because these are aspiring homeowners who, you know, they are, they are facing affordability issues. They want the market to cool down. They want the prices to be at least going to a level where they can uh, afford uh, units. So faced with all these conflicting parties, conflicting demands, um, what the chief executive has said and what he has introduced in this policy address, it's, um, to be honest, striking a balance and, you know, it's a difficult balance. Sounds like you think he's got more or less got the balance right, uh, Jason Lowe. Well, yes, I, I do think so, because um, obviously uh, there has been very calls to, you know, take away all these uh, spicy measures altogether. But I think that will send a wrong signal to the market in that, you know, the government is out there to prop up the prices, which in fact will add to the feeling in people is that, you know, well, the policy market is really not doing well, that the government has to, you know, take extreme measures to uh, support the prices and so on. So I think, you know, taking the middle ground is uh, somehow, you know, the best that we can do for now. We should point out he really has taken the middle ground, hasn't he? Because he's essentially cut both, both of the, the main extra stamp duties uh, by half. So you've gone to exactly to the middle between where they were and not having the stamp duties. Um, uh, Nicholas Brook, um, do you think he's got the balance right? Or do you think he hasn't? maybe he could, could have gone a bit further or need to go a bit further later? Um, I think to have gone further at this stage would have been too radical. I agree with what's just been said. I, I think he has got the balance right. Um, I would like to see them address the situation in its entirety in due course. Um, you know, I'm not a, f- a fan, if you like, of government intervention in, in the market. I, I think the market should be allowed to find its own levels. Um, but uh, government did intervene, and now we've got to uh, unscramble, if you like. Um, so I would hope that over time we would see these measures totally removed. No, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable with the property market, so I'm going to need you two to educate me. <laughs> but I'm just looking at the chief executive's like, you know, policy address, and I see uh, kind of targeting two categories. One is the non-local, and the other is obviously the local market. I just want to 
touch base on the long non-local market, and I kind of understand why because they want to attract more talent coming in. Do you think it's effective? Do you think more non-local people will come into Hong Kong and buy a house, houses, apartments? Uh, let's start well, with sorry, uh, Nicholas. I think it's increased the attraction, if you like, of buying as against renting. Um, and certainly the, the more, more senior uh, band, if you like, of the talent strata who come to Hong Kong um, could, could and would be able to afford. Um, so I think this, this is a signal to them uh, that uh, um, if they buy uh, and, the, and they establish residency status, um, they won't have to pay the, uh, the stamp duty. So um, I, I think it will have some impact, but not a major impact. I mean, I think just one thing to say, uh, you know, all the conversations over the last 24 hours have been about stamp duty. Um, but there are a lot of other things in this policy address which send, good, good point, I think, yes. a very posi positive message to the, uh, to, uh, to the community and to the property market generally. So we might want to touch upon that well, later. Perhaps you, you'd like to, um, why don't you identify one or two of the other things that you think are, uh, send, send this kind of positive message, particularly on terms of the property market, which is our focus this morning. Right, surely. Well, addressing uh, uh, the whole issue of substandard units, um, that, you know, there's a really a, a, a very clear plan there to, to face up to the challenge and the problem, if you like. Um, there, are many, there are a number of issues about increasing supply. There's, there are issues, there are steps to accelerate approval processes, um, get land on the market, to get land converted more quickly, land premium uh, it's going to be the calculations are going to be facilitated. So I, I think, in fairness to the Chief Executive, we should perhaps be looking at this in the round. Uh, stamp duty is part of the, the way forward. Um, you know, I think it's quite an aspirational plan and program of, of uh, initiatives, if you like. Um, but, and this is where the but comes, I think many of the proposals um, will, revolve, will involve quite high funding requirements and uh, um, we can talk about that, but there, is, there are proposals set up a special committee um, to look at how we're going to finance um, the construction of the, the island off Lantau and also, also um, the northern metropolis. So um, I think in fairness to him and the administration, we should be looking at things more in the round. Uh, how about that, Jason Leung, looking beyond the... Uh, I mean, of course, the uh, stamp duties really attract people's attention, <coughs> partly because we all knew it was coming, or we didn't know maybe exactly what, but it was being very widely trailed. But um, uh, should we be looking more broadly at the chief executive's approach to housing in the policy address, Jason Leung? Yeah, I think, uh, like Nicholas said, there are other points in which uh, that can be highlighted as well. Uh, one of the pleasant surprises looking at the policy address is the public housing supply, because... Um, in terms of the short term, say in the next five years, uh, there has been an increase of supply of about 10,000 units. Um, in terms of long-term supply, uh, looking at the 10-year period, uh, the increase has been over 10% from the number announced last year. So um, this has um, given us some confidence uh, in the government's efforts to address you know, the uh, delay of uh, public housing supply in the past and also the uh, 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 so-called, uh, you know, long-term measures needed uh, to increase supply. So, uh, we 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 do see some improvements, and we hope that this trend will continue. However, one point to note is that um, you know the government has announced some you know pro-family measures, such as you know giving priority to families in uh, applying for uh, public rental housing or when they apply for uh, subsidized uh, sale homes. 
But then uh, the government really has to make sure that um, the construction of the uh, public housing is really uh, keeping up with the pace, such that no further delays will happen. Otherwise, the you know promise in terms of accelerating uh, their progress, they, they, uh, it was promised that they can you know get up to public housing a year early, right? But if supply doesn't keep up, then this promise might be broken. So we think that um, uh, there, there has to be more uh, efforts by the government to really keep up the pace of public housing supply and make sure that there will be no further delays in the upcoming few years. I mean, Jason, you mentioned about you know the government needing to keeping uh, the pace in terms of the demand for public housing. I mean, are they actually doing enough? Should they do like more? Well, um, let's first look at the numbers, right? Mm. Um, in the past 10 years, we've seen that there has actually been an average of uh, 15% delay in uh, public housing construction. Um, that, that, of course, has a bit to do with COVID. But actually, uh, before COVID, the delay has already been happening. So bigger, you mean uh, 15% in terms of delay in, in how long it takes to complete or in terms of the percentage number, of uh, number, units? Of number. Can, so say, for, for example, uh, every year uh, they promise, say, 100 units to be completed, but they actually only complete 85. Something, you know, that, 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 that's the concept. Um, but then this has, to be a, this has been a, a long uh, recurring problem for the, for the past decade. Uh, of course, the government has introduced measures such as, you know, uh, having uh, independent checks, uh, introducing new uh, construction uh, methods such as uh, modular integrated construction, MIC, things like that. But I think um, this can be pushed further. For example, um, the government uh, actually decided that uh, more than 50% of projects in uh, the second five-year period will have to use uh, MIC. I think uh, this percentage can be uh, more aggressively pushed up such that uh, the pace of public housing construction can be accelerated. So these are things that I think the government can still do more, but I think they are looking into it, but uh, we, it has to be seen whether they will announce more positive news uh, in the future. Okay, so speeding up uh, public housing construction is one thing, and um, uh, there'd be a consensus on that because there's never enough public housing and there's always sort of, uh, long waiting lists. Uh, but also, uh, I think Nicholas Book mentioned uh, sort of, uh, um, increasing the supply of, of land more generally for development. Is, is that really so important at the moment when, um, uh, when properties put, or land sales um, actually attract very few bidders and developers are holding back um, the, the units? Is it so important to be increasing land, um, land supply? Uh, maybe Jason Lung first, and we'll go back to Nicholas Bull. Sure. I think uh, it's still important to increase uh, land supply. However, there's a difference between um, creating land and actually putting the land up for sale. Well, the mistakes that we made uh, in the past, like say after SARS, is that we are faced with the uh, you know, property sector cool down. We decided to stop producing new land altogether. However, what has been done instead was, okay, let's continue making new land. However, we can stop the land sale process to regulate the supply. These are two different concepts. Again, we are facing somewhat a similar situation today. And to avoid the same mistake uh, happening again, well, I do agree with the government in that you know, land should continue to be produced. However, whether land will be launched for sale is another matter. That can be dealt flexibly depending on market situation. Uh, Nicholas Brook? No, I entirely agree with Jason. I think the challenge has been... Uh, producing land uh, uh, for housing uh, over the last few years. Um, I, and I agree with him in terms of the separation of production of land as against uh, sale of land. Um, 
one of the challenges that we face is land, what I call land conversion. This is converting mostly uh, housing that's now being built is being built on uh, wasteland or agricultural land, which uh, requires uh, planning permission and requires lease conversion. That has been a major stumbling block. Um, and within the, the current address, there are proposals to accelerate um, the conversion process. Um, but I agree with Jason. Let's convert, but we hold, we land bank for when we need the land, when we need the land in the future. There isn't an immediate need, but there will be a need in the future, and a land bank is essential going forward. Now, let's go back to the comments the Chief Executive made this morning on RTHK Radio Free. Of course, he is appearing on RTHK Radio Free phone in immediately before back chat and asked about um, policy dress measures on the property market. And uh, one thing he said, talk, talking about why, why he'd, he'd relax the stamp duties, would pe- some people advised him that um, uh, if you don't do it now, the situation's going to become even worse going forward, uh, given the global environment. Um, and Nicholas Brook, is, 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 is that your outlook? Things are going to get worse before they get better? I think they would have done if we hadn't intervened. If they hadn't intervened, yes, there would have been further slippage in prices, uh, uh, further uncertainty uh, about what was going to happen, and people would have sat on the fence. Developers would not have released their units. So um, I think, in that sense, it was time to take action. And, and uh, what they've done will send the, the signal that, uh, and bring some certainty to the situation. So I, I think it would have got worse. So essentially, you're, are you suggesting that pricing will continue to decrease, but not so much with these uh, policy addresses? I think we'll, we might see um, some, some small slippage in the, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, we've reached a stage now, of what I would call equilibrium, where demand and supply are uh, in balance, so to speak. Um, and I think next year we will see a situation where prices stabilise. Um, if it wasn't for the supply overhanging the market, you, you might have seen some increase next year, but uh, the developers are holding it of the order 20,000 units, which they wish to put on the market, which they can and wish to put on the market. And that, uh, that will, they'll obviously be released in a, in a structured way, if you like. Um, but that will, that will uh, uh, dampen any, any potential for price increase, I think, because the supply will uh, uh, exceed uh, demand in, in the short and medium term. Jason Lung, do we want prices to stabilise? I mean, they've fallen 15%, but they're still way, way above uh, where they were when these um, these measures were introduced. And uh, affordability ratio, even with a fall of 15%, affordability ratios are still very poor, Jason Lung. Yes, I do agree with your perspective in that it's difficult to strike a balance between affordability and maintaining stability in the market. However, I think for the time being, the latter, as in you know, maintaining stability in the market, it's more important. Um, two reasons. Uh, the first reason is that um, um, half of Hong Kong are homeowners, so these people have most of their wealth parked in real estate. If prices continue falling, this will have a negative impact on their uh, net asset value and hence their you know, um, uh, propensity to spend. When we are talking about you know, rebooting the economy post-COVID, um, well, with you know, uh, external trade you know, being sluggish, local consumption is one of the most important pillars to prop up economic growth. If the locals are not spending, then our economy is in uh, deep trouble. That's the first thing. Uh, the second factor to consider is that, uh, well, we, of course, we want to make the market uh, or make property more affordable. But uh, making it affordable by uh, allowing prices to fall it's sacrificing half of Hong Kong for the other half. So in any case, people will have to suffer. 
Rather, what I think is that in the long term, in order to make things affordable, one of the solutions we can have is to create a separate market uh, for local uh, Hong Kong people. You know, referencing uh, you know Singapore's uh, housing market structure, that would keep, uh, like I said uh, previously, investment needs separate from livelihood needs, such that you know the uh, private housing market could be purely private. In that you know you you feel free to invest. Whoever is rich uh, from overseas or from locally, you, you can go in the market and buy. Prices can go as high as possible. Never mind, but we'll have a separate market for Hong Kong people remaining affordable to uh, most people that can satisfy their livelihood needs. However, uh, this is, you know, of course, um, uh, right now it's still a transitional stage, and I think maintaining stability it should be more important. Don't, don't we already have that? HOS, Housing Society, property, all these, these properties which are developed by uh, various quasi-government bodies and uh, essentially only open to Hong Kong people to buy? Jason Lowe? Yep. Yes, uh, but uh, you know, looking at the supply numbers, these are still way, way uh, not enough to meet people's demands. Even under such uh, sluggish market conditions, you know, the recent Starter Homes project in uh, uh, Hong Kong or Tokowan, actually it's oversubscribed by uh, seven times. So you can see there's still quite a bit of uh, demand in there that cannot be fulfilled. So in the, in the long term, what I think is that the, uh, the government can consider you know, adjusting the ratio of public housing from you know, leaning so much towards the rental, now adjusting that to you know, more towards the subsidized sale, you know, going forward uh, to move to the eventual uh, structure that is similar to Singapore's housing market. I mean, there's always the option to choose public housing, but I think a lot of people, in, in, in like, you know, they aspire to have their own, you know, place. I'm just thinking about first-time buyers. It's a very difficult, especially even if, like, like uh, Danny mentioned, if the prices drop, it's so super unaffordable. I understand that there needs to be stability, but I don't see how, you know, first-time buyers. I mean, between the t- age of 25 to 40, I'm in that bracket. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, how, how, how can they? How can they? Ben- how will they? Benefit, just, I mean. uh, just responding to what Jason was saying, mm. uh, I think we are about to create a new category of housing. Um, government is embarking on this new private subsidised sale flat, as they call it. Um, and they're going to embark on a pilot scheme. They're going to sell three sites uh, in the uh, foreseeable future. The, these units are going to be sold at a prescribed price to a, to a certain band of people at a quite heavily discounted price from the private sector uh, value, if you like. Um, and and they, they, they seem very keen to, if you like, um, expand this scheme. Um, and this in itself could create this category that Jason is talking about, where people have much more, have a better chance of both affording uh, and, and achieving their ownership aspirations, if you like. So I think government is edging in that way, if you like. Maybe you know, they should be doing it a little more enthusiastically and on a larger scale. But the, this pilot will be, I think, will, should be followed with interest and we should look at it closely. Nicholas Brook, do you think the Singapore model that Jason Long referred to a number of times, that's, that's one to follow in Hong Kong? It, it could have been if we started uh, at the right, earlier, but, you know, <laughs> we're, we're too far, I think, down our own road, if you like, our own path in terms of the structure of the housing market. Um, but there is the chance, an opportunity, I think, to create new categories of housing, uh, as he was suggesting. And this, this is pilot by government, um, which they're about to embark on, is, is, is one way that we could, we could do that. We could create this category, which would be much more affordable and much more accessible to, to uh, first-time buyers. 
And how about the balance between uh, rental and sale flats when you're talking about public housing? Well, government is very keen on public rental. And I think in most schemes that they pursue at the moment, up to 70%, where they do joint ventures and develop, private developers and territories, up to 70% is uh, uh, public rental. Uh, that, to me, is a very high percentage. Um, I understand that you know, they have a waiting list of yeah. 95 years. They okay. need to address the public rental situation. Okay. Well, where, so uh, on, the, on, on the other hand, if they, yeah. um, if they, uh, you know, if we really do want to meet ownership aspirations, then I would allocate more of that seventy percent to ownership as again. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry, we're going to have to take a break for the news now, and we'll say goodbye <coughs> uh, to uh, Jason Leung from the Our Hong Kong Foundation. But Nicholas Brook will be staying with us, and we'll be continuing the discussion on uh, the property market after the news. Later on, we'll be talking about support for Hong Kong filmmakers. Uh, the uh, weather forecast: um, temperatures it's going to get warm again. The temperatures going to rise to uh, thirty degrees, although there will be uh, occasional showers over the weekend. But the weather's gradually going to improve. Currently. 27 degrees, relative humidity, 83%. It's 9.30. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the news. Xinhua News Agency says former Premier Li Keqiang has died at the age of 68. It said the former leader passed away this morning in Shanghai after a sudden heart attack. Chief Executive John Lee says his priority in his policy address is to ensure that Hong Kong remains competitive as countries and places around the world are trying to grab talent, particularly in IT and green energy. He was speaking during a phone-in programme on RTHK after delivering his second policy blueprint on Wednesday. He highlighted his plans to develop the SAR into a higher education hub as well as an arts and cultural hub to make the city a good place to both work and play hard. And two workers at the wrecked Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan have been taken to hospital after being sprayed with radioactive liquid. The plant's operator, Tokyo Electric Power Company, said the exposure happened when a drainage hose came loose. We'll have more news on the hour from RTHK. Under the Kindergarten Education Scheme, the registration certificate for kindergarten admission is used as a registration document. Parents of children born on or before December 31, 2021, who will attend K-1 in the 2024-25 school year, are required to submit applications from September to November. Application forms are available at district offices, post offices, and the Education Bureau. You can also submit applications online. For details, please visit the Education Bureau website at www.edb.gov.hk. Wow, you look so good, darling. Really? You don't smell like cigarettes anymore. The doctor said my blood pressure has improved, too. Friends said I play basketball better after quitting. I knew you could do it, dear. I'm going to ask my friends to quit smoking. Everyone supports you to quit smoking. Don't give up. Quit now. Call 1-833-183. Welcome back to the last Back Chat of the Week. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter and Back Chat this morning is Philip Wong. In the second half of the show, we continue our discussion on the uh, impact on Hong Kong's property market of the uh, property-related measures announced in uh, this week's policy address. Of course, the Chief Executive appearing on RTHK just before Back Chat this morning, uh, saying that um, uh, there is response, uh, redu- especially uh, reducing the, uh, the stamp duties as a response uh, to the uh, uh, global environment especially and um, about the issue of liquidity in the property market rather 
rather than uh, property prices per se. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking about another measure in the policy address to try and support filmmakers, especially if they're trying to go into the mainland. Uh, if you have any thoughts on either topic, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. Our guests, as we continue the discussion, are still with us, Nicholas Brook from uh, Professional Property Services Limited. And we're now joined by Rita Lee. Rita Lee is Associate Professor and Director of Sustainable Real Estate, uh, the Real uh, Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre at Hong Kong Shuyan University. Miss um, Lee, good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. Uh, well, but what did you make of the property measures in the uh, Chief Executive's policy address? Well, uh, the property measures, uh, the most important thing is that it tried to leave and easing some of the spicy policies to uh, boost the property market, uh, uh, markets. Uh, and then, uh, however, what we have seen is that, um, uh, uh, what we have seen is that uh, for these, some of the measures that may not be really uh, effective, uh, as what the market has also said, uh, given that the, uh, the fact that they're putting the more money into the bank return is actually higher than letting out. So the matter is like uh, when we talk about the uh, lift of the spicy measures for the tax, uh, et cetera, that, is, that may not be that effective. However, it also mentioned, uh, uh, however, um, this gives a signal to the market that the uh, government would like to uh, stabilize the housing market and then uh, uh, try to give some confidence to the market for investment. There's a lot of discussion about whether the chief executive got the balance right. I mean, he had three choices. He could have done nothing. He could have removed uh, these um, spicy measures altogether. And he essentially went halfway. He cut them in half. Um, what, do, what do you think, uh, Rita Lee, in terms of whether which, which of these three options was correct and whether he got the balance right? Well, I think uh, the government is quite conservative uh, because like, uh, uh, from the uh, government figures, uh, the rating and valuation department, so what we have seen is that uh, the housing price index it has dropped from in 2019 May to now uh, the, la- the latest figure is like 292. But then uh, if we talk about the rental index, what we have seen is that in the rental index, it continues to rise uh, from uh, 173.6 in 2023 January to the last figure in uh, 185.4. Uh, so it means that uh, while the um, uh, property prices like keep falling, but then the rental market, it seems that it is not bad. Because uh, there are quite a number of uh, homeowners, they have uh, changed to rental. And then we also have got a lot of the people who are not sure about the housing market direction so that they decide to rent it temporarily uh, before they turning back to the, uh, to the housing ownership market. So what we have seen is that uh, the government tried to do is like uh, they want to stabilize the housing market, but at the same time, they don't want to see a sharp rise in the housing price again because they think that uh, to a certain extent, if the housing prices is too high, that may uh, uh, stop some of the tenants to come to Hong Kong. Because, like in some of the places, other places like in mainland China, if you talk about the housing prices, it dropped to a level for which like, I, I've heard from the uh, from the uh, from the estate agents in mainland China, it's about 0.4 million of the housing, and then you can buy there, and then uh, 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 the housing is a lot much more larger than that in Hong Kong. And then, uh, so that's why that from the government perspective, they only want to like stabilize it, but they don't want to like boost the housing price again. So that's why that they have got like just cut cut half of the uh, part of the spicy measures, but not lifting 
all the spice measures. Uh, Rita, earlier we also mentioned about like you know other factors that influence uh, 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 the property market, such as like you know the rising interest rate. And uh, you know, Nicholas and Jason also mentioned that you know they foresee the property market to continue to decline, but because of these measures, it will slow down this decline. I mean, do you also agree with that? And also, if you do, I mean, is it really bad if the housing property you know decreases? <laughs> Well, I think uh, interest rate is one of the very uh, important consideration when the homeowner consider to uh, to whether or not to put the money to the housing market or put the money to the bank. Uh, in fact, what we have seen is that if you put the money to the bank, the bank's return is actually much more higher than uh, letting a fact out uh, uh, or buying a home. Uh, typical homeowner that they have to do something uh, like needs expenditures on like repair and also refurbishment. So uh, if you try to let the house out, it does not mean that you can shoulder all, off all, uh, all the responsibility of the repairment and also refurbishing. So whenever a tenant leaves, the landlord actually needs to spend a lot of money on like maybe uh, painting, repairing, uh, and then purchasing some of their new electrical appliances like fridge. So in high interest rate time, actually housing investment is not really attractive. Oh, let's put that to um, Nicholas Brooke. I mean, you're very much involved in this. So, do, do you agree? Um, <laughs> property well, is not, not a very, very good, not, not a very good investment right now for the returns. Well, put your money in the bank. Yeah, well, put your money in the bank because essentially, I mean, if you're looking at re uh, residential real estate, the the average yield is probably two two and a half percent, and uh, you get five and a half in the bank. So, certainly, if you make that comparison. Um, the bank is a far more attractive proposition. I think the other challenge is, of course, that um, with the interest rates as high as they are, 5-6%, um, you, your interest payments don't, are not covered by the rent. So if you buy for investment today, you're, to, you're going to have to top up, um, which is not an, obviously not an attractive option. So I think the investment market is going to remain very quiet, if you like, that part of the residential market, uh, until we see um, a, a fall in interest rates. Because it doesn't make sense to have to top up, if you like, while, um, uh, while interest rates remain so high. Well, the government might turn around and say they're perfectly happy with that. We don't want uh, speculation and lots more investment. Uh, the, the problem with the Hong Kong property market was it was full of, full of investment properties before and that um, we want people buying um, property for, for, that, for their own use. Well, there's a difference between investment and speculation. Um, and the conditions that we've seen over the last five, six years in the property market uh, have not... Uh, encourage speculation, if you like, um, uh, you know, the two to three year uh, um, prohibition, if you like, on resale uh, hasn't really been relevant because there hasn't been the opportunity to, to buy and flip, so to speak. Uh, and, it does, and it's not likely to occur, I don't think, in the foreseeable future. I think we're not going to see the volatility that we've seen in the past in the property market. That volatility provided those opportunities to, to, to uh, flip, if you like, and to speculate. But I, I don't think we're going to see those opportunities in the market in the foreseeable future. Uh, Nicholas, so let's say if I'm a first-time buyer and I'm interested in, in buying, you know, when would be a good time? When would you suggest a good time for me? Or would you, would you even say, you know what, you shouldn't buy, just go renting? Or should I just continue living with my parents? <laughs> um, I think if you're looking at ownership, um, you should buy. And, yeah. and you should make that decision when, when, the, when the economics make the best sense for you. Um, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a lifetime decision. It's something you're going to live in and occupy and enjoy for the rest of your day, so to speak. So I would make that decision 
almost not regardless of the market, but it would be, depend very much on my personal circumstances and what I could afford and what I could uh, uh, manage uh, by way of funding, etc. Um, so today, yes. Tomorrow, yes. Yesterday, yes. Uh, I, I think for ownership, um, you should do it when when it feels right and when you can do, when you have the financial capability to do it. Well, we're broadening our discussion a bit here, but I'm sure a lot of listeners who don't own properties would be, be very interested. Um, uh, Rita Lee, what's your, what's your view? Um, is this is a good time to buy if you need it for your own needs? Well, uh, I think uh, whether or not that we have to buy, we have to consider, uh, as what the earlier speaker mentioned, that it's like whether or not, uh, because if you buy it, uh, you don't, uh, the rents that you spend actually will, will, become, will become part of the uh, housing for which that you, you own it. And then uh, we always, uh, uh, there is an old saying that if you have got the ability to buy, then of course you can buy at any time. But then if you buy for speculation, of course, this is not the right time. And then if you buy for the investment, it may not be the right time as well, because that's what I said. Actually, the return for like uh, other sorts of investments, like for example, just, just like uh, we, we, we just put the money into the bank for uh, the lazy uh, investment or like putting the bank for the interest, that will be, a, that will be higher than we put the money to the uh, in the housing market where we have a lot of the expenses that we actually need to incur. So therefore, I think it depends on whether or not there is a need for you to uh, uh, there there is a need for for home ownership. Like for example, those like uh, uh, the couples that they marry and then have a baby, they do not want to move here and there. Uh, they want to make their own home so that uh, they uh, they can do their own painting and then without any restriction because landlord usually they would just say that well, you cannot put some nails on the wall and and then uh, and then do some like uh, do something like painting for example in the wall that is that is not possible so it means that if you want to have got your own style of living then of course uh, you would try to buy a house uh, you don't want to move you will go uh, you will also uh, it is also great to own a house as well or you don't want to like spend all the money for the whole life and then like two millions or three millions given to your landlord without having nothing in return. So, of course, it's a good time to buy. But as otherwise, if uh, for other purposes, then uh, I think most of us, then we just keep wait and see because if you wait for a bit time, uh, most of the people in the market think that the housing prices will still on the downward trend. So it means that if you buy, like, for example, three months later, you may save a million of dollars. Mm-hmm. So why not? We just wait for it, right? So uh, it all depends on how, uh, I mean, uh, apart from investment uh, uh, decision, we, we, we rely on other factors when we uh, decide whether or not to buy. Is it the right time to buy? Well, what's your estimate of the property market over the next couple of years, uh, Rita Lee? I mean, earlier on, Nicholas Book was saying, uh, he, he suggesting that maybe property prices will decline a bit further this year, but pro- probably stabilize next year. What, what, what are your thoughts? Well, my thought is that uh, the property prices will keep falling because uh, in the past experience, when we talk about the spicy measure, it actually takes time to see the impact. And we never see the spicy measure once we put there. And the spicy measure will, uh, will, will, will keep the, will keep the, will drop the housing prices uh, immediately because uh, the market also needs time to, to digest the information. And so as like uh, the overseas market, uh, the overseas investor, they also need to need some more time to, to receive and also digest the information. And then, so as in the past, when we try to reflect, uh, when we try to boost the housing market, we have seen that in, uh, for example, in the back in Donald Trump's uh, uh, era, we have seen that it also take uh, quite a long time to. 
uh, boost the housing price. So I think that the housing price will keep falling for 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 some time before that we have seen a stabilize in the housing market price. And in particular, when we talk about the uh, global financial economies, uh, China's economy, and also uh, mainland China's economy, and so as like Hong Kong's uh, local economy, uh, it's rather weak. Uh, so if you look at like Hong Kong, you can see that there are a lot of the shops that they uh, they have got a drop in price in the in the sales. So if you go to the shopping mall around, you you find a very clear message that the whole market is not really uh, good because there are a lot of like restaurants they are cutting price instead of like um, uh, increasing in price. For example, yesterday I've gone to the buffet, and then buffet lunch in, in Causeway Bay is only like sixty eight dollars, and then with uh, half buffet, and that's of the prices was uh, actually quite cheap as compared to so many years that. Uh, when 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 we have seen the, in the traditional uh, tours or like commercial areas, so uh, all these just give us the information that that market is not good, and then it will uh, keep on uh, for, uh, for 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 a period for a time. Yeah, we've been talking about residential property really during the show, but maybe just to um, finish off the show, um, the, I, I mean, a lot of vacant shops you front everywhere. You see, is the commercial property market even worse recently? Recently. Yeah, because the commercial market now, uh, what they usually do now is that uh, after ever since the COVID, a lot of the companies, including some of my friends who are working in the banks, uh, some of them they actually do not need to t- return to the office. They all the way through they just work work at home, <laughs> and then uh, some of them they work at like four days, and then some companies that they try to. Uh, uh, what they try to do is that they will uh, try to have got like hot bags, for example, and then uh, accounting they have used it for a very long time already, and then some other companies they are uh, following following suit, and then uh, like uh, Bloomberg and then uh, and also other companies. So what we have seen is that um, uh, the uh, demand of the home of the uh, office is actually getting less because uh, of the um, like we can do it uh, online. And then some of the individuals, when they are like overseas, we can actually have got a meeting overseas. So we have already get used to meeting online instead of like meeting in office. So that all these just uh, uh, just give us a signal that it's like office may not be as important as before. So the office is mainly for what for like for example meeting the clients, showing off that your company is like wealthy, still in a good status. Then we have to have a very large spacious office so as to let the others know that well our company is not going to collapse. For example. <laughs> So that's all things that it is rather than uh, a kind of like an uh, impression to show, to show to the other companies that uh, how well our company has done. Because if we have got an office in like, uh, for example, central CBD and in very large spaces, uh, the whole block belongs to us, that it tells the outsider that we are working good. Yeah. But uh, it is not like in the past where we have to have office because everybody has to be back to the office all yes. the time. Work, work for home is changing the whole environment, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, Rita Lee. We'll draw discuss the discussion to a close there. That was uh, Rita Lee, Associate Professor and um, Director of the uh, Sustainable Real Estate Research Centre at Hong Kong Shuyen University. Uh, and our thanks also uh, to Nicholas Brook, the Chair of Professional Properties Services Limited. Uh, stay with us. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned, Stay tuned with Hong Kong.
You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And now for something completely different as we're finishing off back chat for the week. Let's, let's look at something that was, of course, so it was a very, very long policy address. So it took more than three hours to deliver. There's so many different things in it. And one of the many other initiatives in the policy address, the uh, uh, chief executive announcing what's called the uh, film financing scheme for mainland market. The government's going to offer up to $10 million each for local filmmakers uh, to try and assist them in, in terms of um, uh, breaking into the mainland market. Well, here to um, tell us about this, um, this scheme and actually more generally about the issues of local filmmakers if they want to uh, uh, try and um, have their, their, their films shown in the mainland market is uh, Kenny Ng. Kenny Ng is uh, director of the uh, Centre for Film and Moving I- Image um, and a research associate professor at the Academy of Film at Hong Kong Baptist University. Good morning, Mr. Ng. Good morning. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, tell us, well, I mean, before we talk about this specific initiative, uh, tell us more, more generally about, I mean, about what it's like for Hong Kong filmmakers if they, if they want to um, try and sort of uh, have their films shown in the mainland. Oh, yes, uh, definitely. I think there's a, a more long, longer process, like uh, there's a very different uh, process of uh, censorship uh, first. Like uh, before filmmaking, you have to get the scripts uh, passed by the mainland authorities. Okay, so uh, during the filming process, and uh, also after the film uh, uh, is done, you have also to get the final uh, permit from the authorities to get uh, green light for screening uh, in mainland China. So, uh, so it's like a, a double processes of uh, uh, censorship or getting approval from the authorities. Okay, so it's much more uh, difficult or more complicated or unpredictable than like uh, making a movies and showing in Hong Kong or showing in uh, outside of Hong Kong, uh, not the mainland. So it's a complicated process, but of course there's a huge market there, isn't there, right? So, I mean, you, you see... Uh, yes, there's a huge market, definitely. And definitely uh, there have been uh, people who's been working on uh, great budget uh, productions uh, in uh, mainland China. Okay, that's been going on for more than uh, around two decades yeah, already. So I think big, bu- big budget production is not such a problem, right? And you can hire all these people. You've got the money, right? You can hire all these people to help you, right? It's the, it's the smaller filmmakers. Presumably, that's what this initiative, um, uh, the uh, mm. film financing scheme for ma- the mainland market, yeah, presumably yeah. that's th- who's going to address. This, this, yeah, yeah. They want to address these uh, actually smaller budgets, like uh, 100,000 100, uh, uh, dollars for each movie. They still have a small budget, so they want to help... Uh, uh, local filmmakers, their Hong Kong residents, to try to reach out uh, to the mainland market. Yeah, I think that's what the scheme is for. Okay, at I the mean, beginning. Yeah. I'm I'm just wondering how how difficult it was to get it approved. I mean, you mentioned that you know there's a lot of processes, but you know, were there a lot of movies that were submitted but not approved before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, we can only uh, hear from the uh, what the filmmakers or people uh, talk about. Okay. Of course, what we have been seeing are. Uh, uh, big budget movies or what we call the uh, sometimes main melody uh, movies that some Hong Kong directors actually participated in producing. There are also uh, predominantly more about uh, crime movies and uh, corruption movies because they actually uh, matches the main melody uh, uh, film direction in mainland China. So uh, the kind of generic uh, shot uh, choices uh, getting because of like uh, uh, the reason for tailoring to the uh, mainland market because it's also more secure to uh, making films with similar stories. So uh, it is not uh, easy or it may not be so popular at this point that you are making a more local uh, 
Hong Kong stories uh, with uh, local subjects, okay, about Hong Kong social problems. Okay, so I think this uh, currently the kind of this situation, yes. Well, with the extra money, you know, to to uh, help these uh, medium-sized uh, filmmakers and uh, have them across, um, show it to mainland China, uh, they still need to go through some, you know, review, though, mm. isn't it? Because I mean, mainland China, they do have a lot of censorship. Uh, yes, I think the new scheme, uh, they may be more attractive actually to filmmakers who were already familiar with the. Uh, complicated procedures of getting a green light from mainland Chinese authorities, and 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 I think this is also like a initiative, like a start fund. So maybe they may attract uh, people to top up uh, the finance, the finance to make uh, bigger budget films. Okay, so may work better for uh, companies who have good connections with uh, mainland China, uh, uh, know about the rules. Uh, they may not be working uh, so productively at the beginning with. Uh, young uh, local filmmakers who are not familiar with the rules or uh, who are who may not show any initial interest in uh, getting their movies uh, to mainland China. So, so I think there's some 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 kind of uh, transition as we have to get through and and to see how okay uh, young uh, filmmakers can make good use of this funding and try to promote their Hong Kong stories in mainland China. Tell us more broadly about the popularity mm. or otherwise of Hong Kong movies in China. These, I mean, of course, historically, of course, Hong Kong movies and TV programs, especially TVB, I mean, they're hugely popular in China, especially when they weren't allowed. But um, I mean, mm. but things have changed, haven't they? Right? You have a, a very yes. strong domestic. Yeah, you know, foreign foreign movie makers find difficulty, aren't they? That uh, mainlanders often prefer yes. uh, homemade movies these days. So, how about Hong Kong versus um, domestic made movies? Uh, yes, domestic made movies. I think. Um, yeah, uh, let's let's say that for example, there's a recent film uh, played by Joan Fat, right? Uh, I'm not like the Chinese title is not I'm not the god of gamblers, right? Trying yeah. to play on the uh, past prestige of Hong Kong cinema. That film actually uh, fared very badly in uh, in the mainland market. Okay, so uh, the mainland market has also been changing. There's also been absorbing the kind of uh, commercial cinema and Hong Kong uh, style filmmaking. So actually. Uh, the uh, local uh, mainland filmmakers they make pretty good uh, uh, films uh, with great box office tickings and also uh, great uh, acclaim uh, in uh, for critics. Okay, so um, recently there are a few of these films I've watched, uh, pretty pretty well made. So they actually have their own. They know more about the taste of uh, mainlanders and also they absorb uh, the kind of commercial. Uh, Hollywood, Hong Kong style filmmaking. Whereas I think uh, Hong Kong local stories still need to uh, take time to 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 try to negotiate right with the film taste and with the market in mainland China. So it's not an easy uh, path, but they still is is worth doing it right to promoting uh, local Hong Kong stories uh, in mainland China. But I I mean that uh, that funding may maybe is good. It, it's a welcome move to. Uh, uh, encouraged, okay, uh, more uh, young film filmmakers and local film stories to promote to mainland China. But the process would not be that easy. Like it's not like uh, we give you the funding and then we, mm. we, we the plan we just go smoothly. Yeah, it, it, it would take time and we'll see how 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 it go how it will go on. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering about you know whether this funding will help bring Hong Kong you know movies 
back into its golden <laughs> age. And by the golden age, I'm, I'm really referring to the yeah. early 2000s where we had like uh, yeah. movies like uh, Inferno Affairs, uh, Mogando. You know, that movie was, um, I mentioned okay. that movie because it was adapted into like the Hollywood, it was westernized. Do you think this will help, you know, bring it back to, uh, you know, those days? Okay. Um, maybe I think we, I, I would rather look forward, okay, mm. to what uh, has been uh, made in the recent years. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I would say this is a another new kind of, another new Hong Kong cinema. Uh, there are uh, much more uh, local flavor, but also they have uh, much more social research. And for example, last year we had uh, Guilty Conscience. We have the, the, sparing, uh, the sparing Partners, okay, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, have very good box office tickings as well as critical acclaim. And then this year we actually this year and last year, we had movies actually that were nominated for and even gotten awards in the Golden Film uh, Halls Awards, right? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, besides doing these co-production films and promote to mainland market, we should also promote these uh, local energies, local talents, uh, their movies that especially getting international awards and then promote these films regularly or retrospectives of Hong Kong uh, cinema and as well as contemporary films in different international uh, venues and uh, festivals. It's almost... Uh, particularly, I think that's... Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like there's two separate Hong Kong film markets here, isn't there? Because you talk about these these local films mm -hmm. and they can be popular here and internationally. Um, but as you say, they're not very popular, not very popular in China. So and then those who want to make for the China market have to sort of pursue a, a sort of a, a, a different theme. Yeah, yeah, I think that, yes, the China market, because of uh, censorship, they have... Uh, there's some negotiation and then uh, I think uh, filmmakers and investors also try to play this safe and they want to make big budget films. Of course, they have to make uh, very safe uh, topics and, and genres. So actually narrow down that creativity quite a bit. Okay, Of course, there are also uh, a couple of uh, good films uh, in, uh, in the recent decade, but there are not as many as we expect. Okay, So I think, yeah, there are kind of two separate uh, markets or two very different uh, market tastes and, and preferences, yes. And of course, we, we it's good that we can do both, okay? Uh, but I think this funding should also be try to promote uh, uh, local films and rebrand the new Hong Kong cinema, okay? Uh, and, and try to reach it out besides the mainland to uh, much more international uh, venues. Uh, for example, uh, Korea uh, used to be a big fan of Hong Kong cinema, right? The recent uh, Busan Festival, they actually right, uh, award a, a Hong Kong film star. So uh, why not uh, doing more, more of these Hong Kong retrospectives and our contemporary cinema and promote them in such kind of international film circles and doing even co-productions, not only with European countries, but also with Asian countries, particularly uh, Korea, Japan, and, and, and Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand, and, and, and Malaysia, who has a booming market and uh, Great. Okay, I'm uh, thank you very much, uh, Kenny Ng. Sorry to cut you off there, but we are coming to the yes. close of uh, today's back chat. That was Kenny Ng from Hong Kong Baptist University uh, talking about a very interesting issue of Hong Kong movies uh, going into the mainland market. Uh, my thanks to uh, my guest presenter this morning, uh, Philip Wong. Uh, back chat will be back on Monday uh, with uh, Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. So enjoy the weekend and uh, see you on Monday. <laughs>